My wife and I were sitting at a Cracker Barrel in Pensacola, Florida on September the 10th, 2005. Something really amazing was about to happen that we'd been preparing for for months and months and months. The next day, our firstborn son would come into the world, Gabe Bell, and he has been amazing. And as I look back on those days leading up to uh, the day he would be born, man, we were so excited and so nervous. We could not wait. And we've been preparing literally for months. We had gone to Atlanta, Georgia and picked out this perfect crib that we wanted for him. We had totally uh, remodeled a room for his nursery. The walls had been painted. We had all these beautiful things that we had received from, from sweet people during showers, gifts given to us, and things that we had purchased because we wanted everything to be perfect for our little boy when he came into the world. Not only that, we were prepared for the day at the hospital. We had our things lined up, everything we would need. And you know what? It ended up being perfect. We had an amazing doctor. The hospital that we went to, absolutely incredible. The nurses, the people, it was just great. It could not have been better. We were prepared. The hospital was prepared. There was plenty of room in the hospital. It was comfortable. It was clean. It was great. Now, when we think about Christmas, the story of Joseph and Mary is not like that. The edges are not as clean uh, as the ones in, in our story. In fact, it's a story that I don't think any uh, man and woman expecting a child would want to be in. When you look at the story of the birth of Christ that we begin to celebrate today, well, it is a story like no other. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine my wife, right before she gave birth, riding a donkey for miles and miles and miles and miles. I can't imagine getting to uh, a town because a census has been forced upon us at just the wrong time and getting there and realizing there's no room for us anywhere. And so what we find in the story of the birth of God himself come to earth, Jesus, the Messiah, is that he would be born basically in a barn, a, a natural barn, a, a cave, if you will. And there were cows instead of attendants, and there was hay instead of a nice pillow, and there was a manger instead of a crib. But still, Jesus was born. That's right, not any circumstance could hold back the promises of God. And so today we read that story to kick off our series, A Christmas Hope, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, Till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Today we kick off a series 
about hope. Now, I know that you may be thinking right now is one of the most hopeless times that you've ever experienced in your life. Collectively, we as humanity on this earth are going through what seems to be bleak and hopeless times. But we're going to start a series on hope because we believe that hope is exactly what we need. In fact, let me ask you something. If you were to describe Christmas in one word, what word would you give it? Would you give it peace? Would you give it joy? Uh, Would you give it fun? Would you give it uh, memories? I don't know. What word would you use? Well, well, we've decided that this Christmas season, the word that we're going to use when we describe Christmas, and I want you to join us in this journey, is this. Hope. Hope for all of us. And our hope is not an empty hope. Our hope is found in a person, in a baby who became a man, who died and rose again for us. And his name is Jesus. Joseph and Mary in the middle of hopeless circumstances. No room. They were both in a really tough situation. Their families were having a hard time believing this incredible story about Mary uh, being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This, this is an incredible story that these two young people found themselves in the middle of. And yet, with all the hopelessness around them, came hope. The promises of God were fulfilled. And we begin the celebration of that hope right now. So let's talk about hope. When you think about the word hope, what do you think about? Well, let's go to Webster's Dictionary. Webster's Dictionary, if you will, the world's definition of hope, has kind of two parts. The first idea is this. Hope is a feeling that what you want is actually going to happen. It's a feeling, right? And the second part of the Webster Dictionary definition of hope is this. It is a desire that is accompanied by expectation. Those two definitions are the working definitions of hope, and unfortunately, they have snuck into our ideas even in the church of hope. But what I want you to understand is both of those definitions are absolutely inadequate, and they are inferior to the biblical definition of hope that we're going to look at in a moment. 
Let me just tell you why both of these ideas are inadequate and not enough to anchor your life to, not enough to get you through Christmas season 2020. With a pandemic, political upheaval, racial and cultural divisions, this time in history that we are in is a tough one, and we need more than just a feeling that what we want is going to happen, and we need more than just a desire accompanied by expectations. It just isn't enough. Look, if 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 you are a, a person, let's say you're single and uh, you are hoping that your uh, boyfriend is going to give you an engagement ring for Christmas and you're really hoping for that, is that hope, and, and let's say you've got a feeling that it's going to happen, is that feeling that you have, is it going to guarantee uh, that your boyfriend's actually going to give you that ring? And if he doesn't give you the ring, then the feeling just simply disappointed you, right? So there is a huge chance that the hope that you built on a feeling is simply going to let you down and lead you to disappointment and maybe even worse, right? What about a desire accompanied by an expectation? Well, let's go back to the original example. Let's say you're a young lady and, and you want your boyfriend to ask you to marry him uh, this Christmas time, right? And, and you want it really bad. Well, let me ask you something. Does your desire guarantee, the more you want it, is it going to guarantee that you are going to actually receive that? Absolutely not. And so what we find here is a feeling that things are going to happen and a desire that they would happen are simply inadequate. They're just rolling the dice of life. That's nothing to put your hope in. That's nothing to anchor uh, the boat of your life to. You need something solid. You need something that will hold you. I like to go fishing and I love like intercoastal fishing in our area here on the Gulf Coast. And when you want to anchor off your boat into uh, the, the dirt underneath the water, right? The bed of the river or the bay that you're in, you got to have an anchor that can really grab on or you're just going to drift away and you're going to miss the fishing spot that you were trying to enjoy and catch fish out of. Well, the same is true in life. Many of us simply continue to drift because our definition of hope and what we're placing our hope in is feelings and desires. Today, I want you to know there's a better way. I want you to know that this Christmas season, there's something better to put your hope in. And I want to tell you now the biblical idea of hope. So today we understand that the Webster Dictionary worldly definitions of hope, while they can uh, maybe help you out in a moment, maybe they can get you through a few minutes, a bad morning, they're nothing to anchor your life to. So the Christian faith, the Bible, actually teaches us that our hope, and we are people of hope, is to be grounded in something greater than feelings and desires. It is grounded in a person. Not only just a person, but that person's character and his track record and his promises for the future. Listen, if you were given a really hard job, two different people, given a really, really hard job to do, a difficult job that was going to be arduous and long and really hard to accomplish, and you told one person that you're going to pay them $100 to get it done, but the other person, you told them that you were going to pay them $100,000 to get it done. Do you know what happens? 
in studies that they've done on this very thing. The person that's given the $100 to do the work in, incredibly hates the work, doesn't like it, thinks it's impossible to do, can't believe that they're uh, having to do this. It's a really tough thing for them. But the person that's getting paid 100 grand to do the job, uh, they find it to be quite easy. They find it to be a wonderful thing. And, and this is the point. Your outlook on the future, your outlook on the future changes how you live right now. The way you will live today is going to be greatly dependent on the way you think things are going to go in the future and what you're placing your hope in. That person that knew that there was a $100,000 paycheck at the end, well, that person found the work to be really great. But the person that knew the payoff wasn't that great in the end, uh, well, the work was horrible. And many of us are living our lives in a state of, of really downtroddenness and depression and not looking forward to tomorrow, maybe not even looking forward to Christmas. And understandably so with some of the circumstances that collectively and individually many of us are in right now. Uh, but what I want you to understand is the Bible teaches us we can have hope, a hope that can get us through anything. And that hope is founded not in feelings or desires, is founded in Jesus Christ. You see, the story of the birth of Christ that we just read tells us that God kept His promises. What happened that night in Bethlehem, under really tough circumstances, actually was one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given. It didn't look like everybody thought it would. It didn't look the way Mary and Joseph probably wanted it to look. But it was exactly the way God wanted it to be. In fact, I bet all of you parents listening to this and joining us right now have experienced a child on Christmas morning opening a present only to be disappointed. Have you ever gotten your child a gift and when they opened it, they didn't like it? You could see it on their face or maybe they even told you that they didn't like it. I think all of us parents have experienced that in some way or another. In fact, check out this video of a little girl on Christmas morning who did not like what she opened up. The gift she wanted is not what she got. And even though it was something that was really nice and that she really needed it, it just didn't look the way she wanted it to. Check this out. I wonder what it's gonna be. Princess shirt. That's not very nice. So I bet all of you parents, like me, joining us right now, I bet you've experienced this on Christmas morning. I know I have, where you get your kids something that you really think they're going to love, and they open it up, and it's not what they wanted. Or maybe you got them a shirt, and they wanted a toy. And you can see that you, you totally let them down. You can see it on their face. You can tell they're not really happy about that. Maybe they even tell you, not just with their face, but with their words, that they did not like it. 
And see, here's the thing on Christmas morning with kids. Sometimes they get something and they open it up. And even though it's something really nice, it's something that they're going to end up loving. It's something that they really are going to uh, enjoy. You know what? In the moment, it just didn't look the way they thought it would. It just didn't come to them the way they thought that it would. Well, sometimes that is how hope looks in our lives. Sometimes the very things you think are going to tear you apart end up building you up. And all of that is because of the hope we can have in Jesus Christ himself. So today as we look at the story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem under those circumstances, the question is, why should that give us hope? What does the Bible teach us about that birth that tells us that this is what we need to place our hope in? Well, let's go now to the book of Galatians and see an in-depth explanation of just what the birth of Christ meant for all of us. So today we have looked at the Christmas story and what we're going to do now after we saw the account, the narrative of what happened that night in Bethlehem, we're now going to turn to the book of Galatians penned by the Apostle Paul and we're going to see that he is going to explain to us brilliantly just what that birth meant. What was behind it? Why did it happen? And why is it so important to us? And most importantly, why should it give us hope? Because today we're going to learn this. We can have hope because God knows when to show up. We can have hope. You can have hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bleak your Christmas looks this year, because frankly for all of us, Christmas probably does not look the way we wanted it to this year. Uh, We're wearing masks. We can't do parties we wanted to do. We can't go places we wanted to go. Even at our churches, like our church at Three Circle, we can't pack the buildings out. We're at half capacity. We got to social distance and bring people in one way and out another. And and many, 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 understandably, uh, like you right now, are joining us online because of safety concerns with COVID. Man, it doesn't look the way we wanted it to. But I want to remind you that this Christmas season, we can have hope, real hope, not just desires and feelings, but hope built on a person and built on his character and built on his promises. Why? Because our God has proven he knows when to show up for us. In fact, that's what the book of Galatians is going to teach us. Now, if you have your Bibles or your devices, would you go with me to Galatians chapter 4? We're going to look beginning at verse 4. Listen to what the Word of God says. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ." Now, those are some of the most beautiful words that we could hear this Christmas because those are Christmas verses. See, what we celebrate on Easter was started at Christmas. What we celebrate as an empty tomb started with a baby in a manger. And, and these words penned by the Apostle Paul really give us the inside look. It pulls back the curtain so that we can see why and what is so important about the birth of Christ. So let's unpack these incredible verses right now. So as we explore why the birth of Christ should bring us hope, 
great hope, real hope that we can depend on. We look at these verses in Galatians, and now let's just slowly unpack them. The first thing we see here is the Bible says, in the fullness of time, when the time had come, God sent forth His Son. There are some incredible truths that we need to look at here. First of all, the fullness of time, right on time. God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Now, what I want you to know about this is this shows the sovereignty of God. One reason you can have hope this Christmas is is that even though the whole world looks like it's totally out of control, if you trust in God, He is in control. Now, this isn't the first time the world looked like it was coming apart. Throughout history, you can go back. You can see times like World War II, when literally the entire world was at war. World War I, most of the world was at war. You can go back another 50, 60, 70 years. The Civil War in the United States, it looked like the country would tear apart. You just keep going back through history. There are pandemics throughout human history. This isn't the first one. And what we find is God is sovereign over all things. That, that Basically, that word sovereign means He reigns. God so reigns. He is sovereign over all things. In fact, if God's not sovereign over every little thing in existence, then He's not God at all, but we know that He is. And that can help us to trust Him. That is something to anchor the boat of your life into so that we'll not drift off into the circumstances that you're facing every day. It also tells us that God had a plan. When the time was right, when the fullness of time had come, This means, listen, God knew exactly what He was doing. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find numerous and detailed prophecies about the birth of Christ, what His life would look like, what His death would look like, and all the circumstances surrounding all of those things. So this means for those prophecies to come true, God had to send Jesus at the perfect cultural time, the perfect historical time, the perfect religious time, the perfect national time for Israel and Rome, and He did that. If you look through the prophecies of the Old Testament, you'll see a very detailed way Jesus would be born and where He would be born. Of course, God had Jesus born into this world during a forced census. This would have forced Joseph and Mary to leave the comforts of their area to have to get on a donkey, right, and go a really, really long way and then end up in a crowded town where they couldn't find any room. These were, these were extraordinary circumstances and God was sovereign over them. Not only that, the, the Bible teaches us that the Old Testament predicted the way Jesus would grow up, predicted uh, what would happen with Herod, King Herod, who would try to kill Jesus by having all of uh, the baby boys in the area killed. It's a horrible story. But what we understand is God was sovereign over all those things. And all of the prophecies in the Old Testament came true perfectly. Not only His birth, but His birth led to His death. And Jesus was born in the perfect time of history so that His death would be an execution by crucifixion by the Roman Empire. Once again, it is amazing because the Jews didn't crucify people. So Jesus had to come to save His people when the Jewish nation was underneath the power of the Romans because capital punishment underneath the Roman Empire for non-Romans was crucifixion. So everything was perfect. When you look at the story of the birth of Christ, you must be reminded, and here in Galatians it teaches us, it was when the time was just right. God was in control. And this tells us that when we think maybe He's waited too long, when we wonder, when is He going to show up? When is my promises that I've been standing on going to come true? We need to understand that we can 
exhale a little bit at Christmas time. And we can trust God because God has proven his track record is he will show up for us at the perfect time. God knows when to show up for us. The second piece of the couple of verses we're looking at right now is that God sent forth his son. Now, what does this tell us? The first portion says God is sovereign. He sent him at the perfect time. But then this speaks to the eternality, the eternal nature of the son of God. Notice it does not say God created his son when he sent him into the world. See, Jesus had always been God. Jesus had always existed. He is the eternal Son of God. Jesus was not created that night in Bethlehem, but he was incarnated into a human. But he had always been. So the Bible is very clear here in Galatians. God had a plan. At the perfect time, he would send forth his Son, and then he did send forth his Son. His Son was already there. Jesus was eternal, and God sent him forth for us. Right out of the gate in Galatians, we see incredible, incredible theology, incredible truth about who Jesus is, who the Father is, and how our God meant to save us. He had a plan. This was no accident. This was not haphazard or cavalier. We didn't just fall into this thing. He had a plan all along. In fact, all the way from the Garden of Eden, God had a plan to save you and I. Isn't that good news to know that the God of all the universe had a plan in place, a detailed plan that included culture, religion, history, time, and it was perfect, and he did all of this for you and I. Our God is organized. He's on top of his game. He knows what's up. You can trust that. You can place your hope in that. He's not going to let anything slide. He has it all in control. Nothing is outside of the realm of his power and his sovereignty. But not only that, Jesus who came, we need to know who he is. Jesus, the Son of God, has always been the Son of God. Eternal in nature, has always been. The Bible tells us that all things were created through Jesus and held together by Jesus. This makes that night in Bethlehem all the more extraordinary because the eternal Son of God was sent forth by His Father, incarnated as a man. He came for us. He came for us. So that night in that manger, that was God lying there. That was God that began to cry. That was God's little hand that reached out and grabbed the hand of His mother and His father. The hands that threw stars into the sky were now small. The God who could fill the universe now filled a manger. It's extraordinary when you realize that at the perfect time, God sent forth the eternal Son for you and I. But that's not all. Let's check out what Galatians teaches us next. So the next part of Galatians that we're looking at today tells us this that not only did God send forth His Son, not only did He send Him at the perfect time, but when Jesus came as a person, as a human, God now in human flesh, He was born of a woman and He was born under the law. So according to these verses, we now see that Jesus was God fully and He was also fully man. Now, let me tell you why that is important. Why is it important that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man, and here's why. Because Jesus came to take our place and to atone for our sins. Jesus came to do what we could not do. So the Bible tells us he was the eternal son of God put forth by his father. He had always been, meaning he was God. That means he was perfect. That means he had infinite worth. He did not have a sin nature. He was perfect. 
so he could take our place because it took perfection to satisfy God and his holiness. This is how it worked. This is how it had to happen. None of us could do that. So Jesus comes to the eternal son of God. But not only that, he had to be fully human because if he wasn't fully human, he could not take our place. It was humans who had sinned. It was humans who had fallen. So it would take a human to take our place. So that is what he did. Born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us not only was he born of a woman, fully human, he was also born under the law, meaning that Jesus, like all of humanity, was held accountable to the standards of God. He didn't get a pass because he was God himself. He actually came and, listen, and lived that law. See, the law of God is God's holy and perfect standard. And it is his demand on all humanity. We rebelled against that in the garden. And all of us, according to Romans, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning that we all have broken God's law and lawbreakers have to pay up. We got to pay the penalty, but the penalty for our lawbreaking as humans collectively and individually was simply too great a price for us to pay. We couldn't pay it in a thousand lifetimes. It was impossible, and it's impossible for you and I to live the law. The law of God is his standard, and we can't live it. You can try. You can try really hard, and some days you may be better at it than others, but in the end, you're not going to be able to fulfill God's law. No matter how hard you try, you simply cannot. Fallen humans with sin natures in this world, we can't fulfill God's law on our own. So Jesus was not just born of a woman. He was born under the law, meaning that, he was accountable to that law. And the difference between you and I and all other humans of all time and Jesus is that Jesus never broke the law of God. He fulfilled and followed and obeyed God's law perfectly. He fulfilled God's moral law because we have in the Bible, we have God's moral law, his expectations on how we will live, and we have God's ceremonial law, the sacrificial system he set up to deal with sin and deal with our issues as humans. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled both? Jesus fulfilled the law both ceremonially and morally. Jesus fulfilled the law of God morally in his own life. Every day for 33 years, Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He didn't do things that God told him not to do, including his thought life in his mind. Jesus was perfect and never sinned, thereby fulfilling for us the full weight of the moral law of God. And then, and then he completely fulfilled the ceremonial law of God. All of those sacrifices that had happened for generations where an animal would be killed and the blood would be used in these sacrifices. Watch this. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law of God with his own body, with his own body. Jesus, the Bible tells us, that baby that was born in that manger would grow up when he was 33 years old. He was arrested, beaten by his own people, then handed over to the Romans who beat him within an inch of his life and then nailed him to a cross. The blood was spilled. And when his head dropped in death on that cross, he had fulfilled the ceremonial law of God. That's why he said, it is finished. And when he died, the veil in the temple itself tore from the top to the bottom, signifying that forever the things that separated us from God was gone. And now the New Testament says, you and I can go boldly before the throne of God because of Jesus. Jesus was born under the law and fulfilled the law for us, both 
the moral law in his life and the ceremonial law in his death. So today, our hope is anchored in what Jesus did for us. But as great as all that is, that's not all. Let's keep taking a look at these incredible verses. So as we look at the hope that is found in the birth of Christ, and as we see this detailed explanation of what the birth of Jesus meant for us, we are learning so much from the book of Galatians. But after we see who Jesus was and the sovereignty of God, and His plan for us, and the eternal nature of Jesus, the Son of God, and that He was born of a woman, fully human, born under the law, so He could fulfill the law for us. And then we see the results of that. The Bible tells us here in Galatians that because Jesus did all of this for us, we can now be adopted into the family of God. See, you and I, we are not natural children of God. We're created by God, but we're not natural children. We're not in the family on our own. We had to be adopted, and it's the most expensive adoption in human history. Jesus gave his own life so that you and I could be a part of the family of God. And the Bible says here that this is for real. You don't get just treated like you're a child. Have you ever heard that? I mean, I, I grew up with buddies that I would spend time at their house or even as an adult, gotten to know people that would say to me, hey, you're like a son to us. You're like, a, you're like one of our own. But God does not say to us, you are like a son to me. You are like a daughter to me. You are like a child to me. God does not say that to us. No, God with his own son and the blood of his own son bought us paid for us, and adopted us into the family. And the Bible tells us now we can call him Abba Father. We don't just go, oh, yeah, it's great that I'm like a son. I'm like a daughter. No, no, no. The Bible says we are now adopted sons and daughters. We are in the family, and we can call him Abba. That word Abba is a form of endearment. It literally means daddy. So this Christmas, you and I can... We can depend on the fact that our God who knows when to show up for us on time, every time, that great God is now our Father through Jesus. That's why the birth of Christ matters so much. We can call Him Abba Father. And notice what the Bible says here in Galatians. It says we are heirs. That tells you just how official this is. You are not like a son and a daughter. You are a son and a daughter. You've been adopted by God through Jesus Christ. You're an heir, meaning you're going to be treated in the end like you are his son, his daughter. I like to say it like this. It's not real until you're in the will. Like if someone says you're like a son or a daughter to me, okay, uh, put me in the will. That's what God has done. God doesn't say, hey, you can come over and eat anytime you want. No, he goes, no, you're moving in. God doesn't say, hey, when you're over at the house, make yourself at home. Uh, what's in the fridge, you can have some of that too. No, no, God says, uh, make yourself at home because it's your house now and you're part of the family. And God says, and you are a son and a daughter with full standing. You will inherit. You're an heir. You're in the will. And what will you inherit? Eternal life. You inherit all of that. You will be treated eternally like a son and a daughter because you are a son and a daughter because of Jesus. That couldn't have happened any other way. So yes, we celebrate this Christmas, what Jesus has done for us. And today, we start our celebration, this Advent season, us together, online and in person. We celebrate who Jesus was and the Father sending Him forth for us. And we celebrate what He did for us. And we celebrate the results of all of that that we celebrate. 
Because if you will place your hope and faith in Jesus, you don't have a hope that's built on feelings now or desires. You have a hope now that is built on a person who actually delivered. Because watch this, this Christmas, if you're hopeless today, and many of us are, all of us at some level are, are feeling the weight of what we're all going through. But some of you have some individual things that are even tougher. This Christmas, there's an empty chair at some of your tables because you lost someone. This Christmas, the money's tighter because you lost your job and the economics just didn't work out. This Christmas, you're fighting a disease that last Christmas you didn't even know about. This Christmas, some of you are dealing with the results of a bad marriage that just a year ago, you guys were celebrating Christmas together. Many are hurting right now. And I want to tell you, you can have hope in Jesus because watch this. If God knew right when to show up to save us, He still knows how to show up to sustain us and to help us and encourage us. And that's exactly what He wants to do for you this Christmas. So place your hope in Him. Look, don't place your hope in politics. Don't even place your hope in a vaccine that may be coming, though we hope and pray for that. Don't place your hope in when the job gets better, when the money gets better. No, no, place your Place your hope in Jesus because he has proven that he keeps his promises so he will continue to. And he's proven that he knows right when to show up because he did show up at just the right time. So the same God that organized the circumstances for the coming of his son for us is the same God in control of the circumstances of your life right now. You and I can trust that. We can stop being afraid and stop being anxious and we can actually celebrate and enjoy this Christmas no matter our circumstances. Why? Because God keeps his promises, and he knows just when to show up. He came. He really did. He came. He didn't have to, but he said he would, and he did. And because of that, we can trust in him. Listen to this amazing song about the truth that God, God himself, came for us. Mystery of the ancient age Story spoken and foretold Of one who come to save A king deserving of the throne Fully God and fully No other man 